Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. I'm your host, Mike Davis, and each week I bring you conversations with local purpose-driven leaders. Leaders creating social impact through their work and inspiring positive social change across a wide variety of sectors. Sit back, tune in, and enjoy the next 40 minutes guaranteed to inspire you with our signature blend of wisdom, experience, and banter. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. We are aiming for um, even that um, 18 million is around 1% to 2% of the market. But that's a big step towards really creating this solution and giving people this option that they can still enjoy what they're doing every day, take away coffee, but they have a really sustainable solution. And as uh, we talked about, we can expand it to other applications. So when this becomes a norm, we can expand it to other uh, convenient packaging that it is truly sustainable. Welcome back to another action-packed episode of Humans of Purpose. First off, a big thanks to our season sponsor, Neon Treehouse, for all their wonderful social media support. Our current sponsor is Tank with the C, and we're most grateful for their support too. I'm a big fan of Tank because they're pioneers in the world of government engagement. In fact, they might have even come up with the term or been the first to use it themselves. This matters because what it means is that they're reimagining government relations to be a far more accessible model that caters to the strengths and needs of the for-purpose sector. More on this in next week's episode with Neil Farrow, co-founder and director of Tank. To learn more, check out their website in the show notes or just head to tank.com.au. If you've got a message about your purpose-driven organization, products or services that you'd like to share with our incredible audience, we've got some amazing new promotional packages you can check out and express interest all in our show notes. Alternatively, just head to humansofpurpose.com and hit the Partner With Us tab to learn more. A big thanks to all of those who sent some lovely messages of congratulations for our 300th milestone episode last week. It was awesome reaching the milestone with my wife hosting and uh, to have your wonderful feedback, which was mainly around calling me out of my very poor taste of t- TV of late. My guests today are the founders of Good Eddie, Aneo Rehebi and Catherine Hutchins. Good Eddie make the Eddie Cup, a delicious, sustainable and eco-friendly edible cup that you can consume after you finish drinking your beverage. Good Eddie supplied the Eddie Cup to the Commons, and once when I was hungry and had no food, I simply went down to the kitchen and ate one of their cups. I loved it and the concept. It's smart, simple, and ridiculously eco-friendly with the potential to get even better over time as they grow and scale their operations. So when Aneo and Catherine reached out, it was a no-brainer to get them on the show. You'll hear me enjoying an Eddie Cup throughout the show, so you get some lovely ASMR vocals on that throughout. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Aneo and Catherine as much as I did. Absolutely thrilled to have you here, Catherine and Aneo. I'm drinking out of your good Eddie cup, which I'll probably eat as soon as I finish <laughs> my coffee. How are you both today? Really good. How are you? Uh, look, I'm happy that it's warmer outside. Uh, things are good. Very happy to be here with both of you. Um, I would love to start um, by learning a little bit about your journey. Maybe take me back to when you first met and how you met and embarked on this journey towards this edible, delicious cup I'm holding together. Absolutely. So Kat and I, we met at work. Um, We started doing some projects together. We used to have lunch break and coffee break. And both of us, uh, we were talking that we want to do something that has a positive impact and sustainability and new business ideas was both, um, both of us a passion. So one of these days that we were walking, we saw this 
big pile of uh, takeaway coffee cups and every bin you pass by, you see this scene. And unfortunately, it's very sad in Australia. We love our coffee, but uh, there is a price to this or there is a cost to these uh, takeaway cups. Um, and then we looked at all these options in the market. Um, there are obviously normal plastic cups and there are reusable cups. After all these years, uh, the uptake has been around 5 to 10 percent. And then um, we have some other options that they call it green or um, eco-friendly. But when you look at how they are made and where they are made and the material that is used to make them, unfortunately, they are not really sustainable because there is no infrastructure for it or they are just, um, unfortunately, they are doing greenwashing. So we thought we can do something that it is um, truly sustainable, but also convenient and waste-free. And the only thing that we could think that is waste-free and convenient is something that you can eat. So that's uh, how the idea of Edible Cup was born. I love it. You're kind of destroying the whole um, Starbucks coffee shop model of you buy a coffee, <laughs> then you would eat food as well. So yeah. <laughs> what, what food are you going to buy? But respect the idea very much. So you eat the vessel rather than dispose of it. Absolutely, yeah. And the, the idea for this and the first beginning prototype happened in Catherine's Kitchen. Yeah, that's right. So we came up with this concept, okay, we want to do an edible cup. We did a lot of Googling and looked and thought, how are we going to um, test to see if this can actually work? And uh, we found this waffle cup maker um, that we ordered off eBay. Uh, it arrived, um, so we went to my kitchen and uh, we trialled over a hundred different recipes, and we had so many leaking cups uh, and so many failures. Uh, but finally, uh, we've got a waffle cup that could hold our coffee for five hours, and um, it was also delicious. Five hours? Who, yeah. Who's taking five hours to drink a coffee? Tell me where they are. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we haven't found yet any. <laughs> but five hours is the natural limit by which the structure of the cup can hold? Yeah, um, that was for our initial prototype. So this was this little waffle yep. cup that we had in my kitchen, and uh, it also tasted really good. So then we were like, hey, this is going to work. Uh, but we can't supply all of Australia with edible cups from my kitchen. Uh, so we started the journey to be able to scale up and make our um, pilot plant that we have today. So what's it made out of and what's the process like of designing something like this? Because it's got to work well, but you also have to presumably not hate eating it. So did you eat like metric tons of waffle in the first few months of designing this? Or? Yeah, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. So you're exactly right. Um, it had to be a combination of having something that was going to behave like a cup and have the functionality of a cup, but also taste good so that um, people want to eat it because the ideal way of disposing of uh, our edible cup is that you eat it. Uh, it's not the end of the world. If people don't want to eat it, you can put it in the compost. It's right? Exactly. Yeah. So it will break down naturally even in the normal rubbish uh, in less than two weeks. Yeah. Um, it's just like a banana skin or an apple core or something like that. I think this is great. And I do see an expandable line of um, like, I know they do packaging that's made out of, um, you know, all kinds of compostable goods. Why can't I just eat any refuse that's around? So like I open up my mail, the package comes and I just eat the wrapper. <laughs> is, is, is because that's not socially acceptable yet? Is there a time when that'll become socially acceptable? I think it's going to take some time to get there. But, um, even like our cops, uh, when we were just building the whole solution, uh, it was COVID. So we built everything during COVID. And in the beginning, we didn't have the idea of this paper wrap that you see around it. 
but uh, we saw some of the feedback that we were getting from the cafes and some of the like consumers, they were quite concerned about who has touched their cup. Yep. So ultimately, this works uh, towards a benefit because now we can have the brand on it and it really protects uh, the cup it's a, for hygienic reason. And the way we design it, it protects the cup not to touch any surface. Um, but I think that's the concern many consumers have mm. who has touched it. Is it clean enough? Is it hygienic enough yeah. when I want to consume it? But maybe one day it becomes a norm. Uh, you can just give it a rinse. <laughs> yeah, or, or maybe there could be instructions like uh, make sure you sanitize your hands before you touch the cup. Yeah. And that way, if you didn't want to eat your cup, someone else might want to eat your cup. I, I don't know, I'm just <laughs> ideating out loud. But this is really impressive. And um, I've seen a whole range of really interesting uh, reusable cup fads come and go. You sort of had the... The models originally, I think, around Frank Green and sort of the, the Keep Cup kind of revolution. Um, for a while, we had rental cups that were just like really bizarre model, I thought. So you've still got plastic cups, but you can rent them and return them. And I guess that's reusing the same cup, but they're still plastic. So talk to me a little bit about the evolution of this and how this is sort of more of a circular economy solution, perhaps, rather than some of the alternatives out there. So the way we uh, looked at it uh, was how we can design this product uh, that we are thinking about every step and the whole value chain. So where the material is coming from, where we are making them um, and how we are distributing them and the packaging material and, of course, end of life. And um, so a big portion of the edible cup, our Gritty cup, is brand. So it's an upcycled material. Majority of these materials end up in landfill. Um, but we are upcycling it, we are using it, and it's uh, very nutritious, full of fiber when you're having it. Um, but big portion of this come to um, our solution. Um, the other thing that we wanted is, of course, eating it. So, you know, the end of life has been very well considered. Yeah. So you, when you're e eating, is the best way to consume it. But mm -hmm. when it also ends up in landfill uh, or ends up in rubbish, it's like any other food item you're having it. So you don't, if there is an infrastructure for food item, which is, the majority of the, you know, all the beans and infrastructure you see, it is built for that. So nobody criticized why you're having banana, the pill comes with it. And <laughs> that's the whole concept around it as yeah. well. So really thinking about the whole value chain and what happens to the product. And that's how we thought this is the way to go forward. And of course, it is new. People find it, some people find it weird or new, or it takes time um, to uh, get you know, adoption or mm. acceptance, but we really think this is the future. Well, I think we're, we're in Cremorne right now and there's a lot of really cool people around here. I don't know if you've noticed, this is Melbourne's Silicon Valley. It's a real cool suburb. I'm not from here. You might be able to tell that also, but um, spending a lot of time down here, I had one of your Eddie cups the other day and um, I was showing it to someone and I just started eating it in front of them. And I think because it's Cremorne and the people here are all a bit um, kind of uber cool, nobody really linked or it's kind of <laughs> not uncommon behavior but i wonder what you've seen and sort of the reactions and behavioral responses feedback you've got around because conventionally people might find it odd to see a person drink a coffee and then eat the cup yeah i think people find it um sometimes a little bit shocking uh, we've had a lot of people post about us on social media and message us and tell us about these stories. Um, that's the sound of uh, <laughs> eating the cup, by the way. <laughs> you hear that delightful crunch of <laughs> Wait for a crunch. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, most people are open to it. Uh, people are really excited. Even if they don't yet understand that it's a sustainable solution, 
they see, oh, it's an edible cut. This is so cool. This is so interesting. And they want to try it and they want to take a bite. Um, most people, they can't even take enough sips out of their coffee before they want to take a bite to just try it. So from that side, I, I think it just adds to the novelty factor, uh, which in the end increases the number of people that want to use and, and consume the cup. And what's your message to people or sort of distributors? Like, First of all, where do the cups go? Are you selling to coffee retailers and encouraging them to start to use the cups as, instead of their normal cups? Yeah, so we have uh, quite a few uh, customers, a really broad range. Uh, a lot of our cups go to uh, as wholesale to cafes so that they can replace their takeaway cups um, that they currently use and offer our cups as a sustainable alternative. Uh, we also have a lot of uh, corporates and businesses which are really interested to use our cups for their events, their activations, uh, trade shows and expos. Mm. Instead of uh, often at these events, uh, you always see one um, time use packaging. It's perfect for around. events, right? Because yeah. like not only is it one touch, but it's gone. So there's no rubbish. Yeah. And that's always a huge concern with event costs is like you know controlling your rubbish. Yeah, and even we had a, a, a party uh, the other week, which we can talk more about. Your second birthday party. Second birthday party, which was amazing. But we were preparing for that, and I was saying, but how are people going to um, go and collect food off this? We had all this food on this table. And then we're like, wait a minute, we can just put our cups out there. <laughs> uh, like, even we hadn't thought of it. As in, you used it for food? Instead of uh, having plates and and uh, I love bowls. this. Now, so this is where I think we need to take the conversation. Yeah. So this works for other things too. Yeah, perfect. And it actually worked. People immediately got it. We just lined up all of the cups in the middle of the food table and they were grabbing a cup, putting in some uh, like carrots and celery and uh, sushi and then taking it away and chatting uh, with their friends and eating uh, just like that. And then we didn't have all this uh, waste, even if it is, uh, you know, if we had plates, we would have had some compostable or recyclable paste, but it's still reducing significantly the amount of waste that you have. Are you thinking about other products? Yeah, we would love to do other products. At the moment, we want to just focus on the takeaway cups. That's going to make the biggest impact. If we yep. really have laser focus on that, we expand across Australia and also around the world. Uh, we want to be the sort of new norm for um, takeaway cups. It's just everyone has edible cups and yeah. they don't need to think about it. But in the but everyone future, needs fiber too, so this is great. I mean, I feel yeah. like I'm—I uh, don't need my metamucil today because I've got this <laughs> one. I'm, I'm old, um, but I had this cup, and it's all you know, fiber and all the good stuff. It's got the rye, wheat, oat, and gluten, all the good stuff. Yeah, yep. rye. Rye is a great uh, high fiber flour to have, and also the wheat bran that's in there is really high in fiber too. And fiber plays a big part in the way of, that we make the cup uh, waterproof. Uh, without having any coating or additives or um, preservatives or anything like that. But, yeah, in the future, we'd love to expand our range to cutlery, to bowls, um, to everything, so that we're completely eliminating single-use packaging. And what is the feedback that you're getting from retailers where who are stocking the cup? What's the uptake like? What are they seeing? Are they thrilled and saying, oh, everyone loves to eat their coffee cup after they drink coffee? Or like, what kind of vibes are you getting in feedback? Really good and positive feedback. Um, most of the cafes that they come on board, they have a very good focus on sustainability. So they And that's why they reach out to us, um, and that's why they want to have good Eddie Cups. Um, the 
And their cons- um, customers, they really like it. The concept is very exciting, something new. And uh, as you say, something like a snack, you have it with your coffee. So it just goes together really well. Um, one of the things, one of the barriers that we have, because we are a pilot plan and small, our price point is not quite competitive with the normal single-use items that are in the market. Yeah. So we really need to work with those um businesses, companies and cafes that they really understand the value of the product and and the sustainability aspect of it. Um, So price is the main barrier and that's why we are really working to scale up, be able to bring down the price point and be more competitive so everybody can enjoy this solution. Yeah, nice. So it is about um, scale and, and price and quality. And so is it expensive to make these cups, given, given the ingredients and process? What's the process like? At the moment, it is because we're very small. We're like a small bakery yep. and uh, everything is manual. So uh, the highest cost that we have is labour costs to be able to produce each cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we can scale up and have uh, more automated, um, large-scale machinery, it means that we can uh, reduce that labour cost per cup yep. and we can drop our pi- price point to our customers, meaning that it's a more accessible solution for So price is cu- currently a bit of a barrier in, in uptake. But, yeah. but I, I imagine the more eco-conscious uh, types are already just flooding to you naturally, sort of the early adopters. Yeah, that's right. So the early adopters are those ones that are willing to pay the extra price to have something sustainable. Uh, we have some cafes that don't offer any takeaway cups um, that are um, oh, yeah, you yeah. know plastic yeah. lined traditional ones. Uh, at all, and so they only offer our cups, or people have to sit down. Like a really great example is Into Coffee in Collingwood. Is that the one where you have to sit down and they don't do takeaway coffees? Uh, they do do takeaway, but you have to get it in a good eddy cup, or <laughs> they offer the um, like returnable. I've read about them. Yeah, I love that concept. It's so good, and they have um, they're basically a zero waste cafe, mm. and they're super inspiring. Uh, we love working with them. They're the, yeah, they're a perfect example of uh, a cafe and how cafes should be in the future. Yeah, it's really cool. I, I think um, the idea of slowing down a bit as well. I know it's not directly part of your product, but you know when you think about coffee and its origins and where it's always been, it's always been about people coming together for a conversation or like a welcome into the home, right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And that moment of appreciation, the work that has been. Um, put towards this and creating this and yeah you take a pause and really you know appreciate the moment yeah and so that uh, like art of having to sit down and not having your takeaway and being in a rush all the time I think it fosters better human behavior to be honest Um, I think we live in a world that's way too fast it's too fast paced everyone's onto the next meeting onto the next meeting you don't even have time to reflect on the last meeting and you forget everything. So Yeah, it's totally right. And it's something that this on-the-go culture has evolved over the last 50 years. If we stepped back 50 years ago, uh, it's more like what you see still in Europe, you're like Italy and France and Spain. People sit down and they have lunch for three hours every day. We and should, we should be chatting that. to people, the wine. <laughs> Getting startups could sustain that. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I think that's awesome. Mm. And, and it, yeah, way more social interaction. Uh, you're eating food slower. It's much healthier. Mm. And just 
for everyone's health and well-being, I think it's um, much better that we take a step back and slow down. Yeah, love that. Love that. So cafes are liking it. Your challenge is around price point and actually like driving probably to a bit more mass market adoption. Is it only price point? Are you still going to have a bit of a battle to to get into the bigger, um, not chains, but more established cafes? Will they have things to say like, oh, I don't know whether our customers will do it? Like, do you get that kind of feedback? And if so, how do you kind of talk about that? And sometimes we do, but we are very open to work with them. So they, you never know that even how the the customers are going to react. So it's just a way to uh, try it and experiment it and see what is the real feedback. So um, like we have had um, cafes that they were just like, oh, I'm going to get one box and then they come back with like multiple boxes because, you know, the adoption or the acceptance from their customers has been really, really good. Uh, but it really depends. And we should, we understand that. It really depends on uh, the clientele, like the values of that specific suburb or the cafes in that area. So do they um, appreciate the sustainability value of this mm. solution or no? Yeah. And do they uh, think about that, about this that far away? Like what's happening about every single thing that I do every day? And can I do a small switch to have a better impact and more positive lifestyle? I think that probably for you too, this is very important because you've identified coffee as a big contributor to carbon emissions and waste. What's the size of the problem that you're solving with this? In Australia, only 1 billion takeaway cups is used every year. Some people say, some new stat says it's uh, close to 2 billion now. And around the world is 500 billion. And wow. unfortunately, majority of this goes to landfill wow. because there is no infrastructure to recycle them. And when we say recycle, it's not really recycled. Yeah. It's kind of downcycled. And it turns to the material that is quite difficult to use it in other industries. Um, and we can talk about it a lot more, but um, recycling by itself, we should accept we cannot get out of this situation by recycling. We really need to rethink about the design of the products that we have and the amount of plastic that we are producing and what will happen to it. So a solution like this is very aligned with nature and what we have it and we had it many, many years ago. So, um, yeah, it is um, a better way to think about uh, what we are consuming per day and uh, what is the impact of it. So how many cups have you saved then from landfill? using this. So we've hit a great milestone recently where we have diverted over 220,000 cups from landfill. So we're really happy with that. Uh, it's really exciting that we can see so many people across Australia uh, adopting our solution um, from cafes to corporates to businesses and also just everyday consumers that buy our cups on our website. Everyday co-workers like um, Mike Davis who could just go to the kitchen and eat his cup and not have to wash it. It's great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When we walked in here today, we had sort of forgotten that the, um, the <laughs> they were stocking our <laughs> cups here at the Commons and um, that's, that's really cool to see. Uh, sometimes we uh, will walk into a cafe um, and just by chance they have our cups um, and they got them from a distributor or something. And um, that's really exciting as well when we see people just ordering our uh, cups and, and using them and eating them. It, um, it makes us really proud of what we've achieved. So let's talk about the impact a little bit. So 220,000 cups is significant. What is the sort of – Do you can, can you go a bit deeper than that? Like what is the um, carbon emission saving or the, the, the waste saving? 
So we did a, um, a study in, uh, we've worked that with a couple of universities and the carbon emission of our cops is around 30% that no, comparing to the normal, 30% less than normal disposable cops. But that's all comes down because again, it, the carbon savings or carbon footprint savings can be a lot more. And uh, the reason is just 30% at the moment is again, because we are very, very small yeah. and the, um, we have some limitation about how we can, how we can control some of the aspects that comes to our manufacturing. Sure. So when we have a big, um, plant and, uh, like a fully automated one where the electricity co- is coming from and how we are producing the cops, it can be a lot more eco-friendly and, uh, we have plans to do that. But at the moment, even with what we have created, looking at, where the ingredients are coming from that are all local. We really work really hard to um, do this. And also the packaging material that we are using, we never use any plastic. So we we have been able to achieve this. Yeah, it's amazing. It's an incredible result. So what would you be thinking about longer term in terms of your aspirations and sort of um, what are the... What are the big, hairy, audacious goals or numbers that you're thinking about now that you've hit the 220,000 milestone? So uh, the next step for Good Eating is we want to scale up. So it means that we can scale our impact across Australia, but also start to uh, enter other markets. And uh, yeah, we've we've got a, a plant in mind, our scale up facility, which will produce 18 million cups uh, per year, which is a huge uh, a huge step up, but it means that we can really um, take the next huge step towards um, having an impact. What sort of market share do you think you can achieve locally? We are aiming for um, even that um, 18 million is around 1% to 2% of the market, but that's a big step towards really creating this solution and giving people this option yeah. that they can still enjoy what they're doing every day, take away coffee but they have a really sustainable solution. And as uh, we talked about, we can expand it to other applications. So when this becomes a norm, we can expand it to other uh, convenient packaging that it is truly sustainable. How exciting. It's very exciting. Like it's kind of dream for us, like thinking about it every day, people waking up, they want to have coffee, but they have it in good eddy and um, they don't even need to think about it. Oh, should I eat my cup? Yeah, it's like, of course you eat your cup. (laughs) You've got to eat the cup. (laughs) <laughs> I'm curious, ha- t- take us through the journey of going from your kitchen to actually turning this into a business, like after you made the first one, because um, it's been a short amount of time. So I'd just love to know a bit about how do you, like you have a great idea, you make a prototype, it seems to do what you want it to do, and then like how does it go from there to being this like great thing that's just growing rapidly and looking to expand? Yeah, so it was a whirlwind sort of journey. Um, once we had this concept, we had to find a um, supplier of the equipment that could produce these cups at a larger scale than just the little waffle cup machine that we had in my kitchen. And um, that was a journey in itself. Uh, we had to get a customized uh, machine uh, that would be able to make it. And also we had to design the line um, from raw materials through to a finished cup um, packaged and ready to send off to a customer uh, ourselves because there's no, um, you can't go to Bunnings and get an edible cup making uh, line yeah. off the shelf. Yeah. Uh, we had to really uh, use... gives you good protection as well over your idea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we had to use all of our, you know, we have over 20 years combined experience in industrial food processing and packaging industry. 
Um, so we really had to use those skills to be able to come up with each of those steps in the line that was going to have an efficient process, something that was going to be able to produce this really nice final product. And it was going to perform like a cup, but also uh, be nice to eat. So um, that was a huge challenge to be able to pull all of those things together and um, create this pilot plant that we have, we obviously needed to raise funds. Mm. So we did a crowdfunding campaign. We also did a pre-seed round where we got some uh, mostly family and friends and some angel investors on board right at the beginning to help us get that initial line set up. And then since June 2021, uh, we had everything in place and uh, we've been producing cups and uh, selling them across Australia. So such a great summary. It's awesome. Did you do uh, any accelerator or kind of uh, VC programs? We did. Um, it's actually, this one is really interesting. Yeah. When uh, we landed the concept and we found um, the uh, supplier for the baking equipment that we needed. So, okay, let's just let this buy it. And then we were sitting together and said, oh, we, but we have never done business on our <laughs> own before. Like, how should we do this? Yeah. And then um, we started applying for different grants and then uh, we got to a few different, uh, you know, pages that it was about acceleration, accelerator program. And we applied for one which was called Hatch and the focus was only sus um, sustainable startups, right? like they focus on sustainability and um, eco-friendly solutions. So we applied and we were very lucky that we got to that. Uh, it was amazing. We met a lot of amazing people um, that um, very, very good mentors that they really helped us to learn about different aspects of the business and the yeah. startup uh, because our background is as corporate and you know in corporate you are just focused on one thing that mm. you really really know but when you have a startup you kind of need to know everything you have to do everything you especially in the beginning and it is um even like, make the waffle codes in your kitchen sometimes <laughs> yeah and do the recipe trials once it was set up as well we were the ones who were making cups till you know 1 a.m in the morning uh i like it for, i think all good things months. happen in people's uh mad inventors homes so, yeah uh, especially the kitchen i love this yeah so we did that and it was amazing. Like we are very, very happy that uh, we could uh, get to that program, meet all these amazing people that they really supported us and we learned a lot. And at the end, we got the major grant for that program. Uh, so uh, that also helped us uh, to have some of the funding that we need to put towards a pilot plant. Awesome. Yeah, it's, it's really exciting. And so now from where you're at, um, presumably you're going to be looking to um, to raise or to sort of raise a bit more funding to get to that bigger plan to help you grow? Yeah, definitely. So um, unfortunately, um, the money that we need to scale up is not small, but when you look at the uh, capital that goes towards the startup, is not that that much either. Yeah. But we uh, really need um, the money to, uh, and investors and supporters that they really believe in this idea um, so we can scale up. And uh, last year we started um, basically our seed round we have had amazing um, traction in the market. We can easily show very transparently where we are and what we have achieved. So we talk, uh, We started talking to different VC companies, angel investors, and we have had some learnings. But um, ultimately, we, rea we realized that this perhaps this is not the right time because yep. of the financial climate. So we paused that and we are thinking um, to um, have a diverse uh, approach yep. um, about how we are raising the funds. Ultimately, we are 
so um, you know focused to make this happen, but we should have the right strategy. And we have been working on this strategy in the last couple of months. That what would be the best approach to raise the capital and bring those supporters on board? Yeah, that's fantastic. So you look for a, a mixed approach rather than conventional VC at the moment. Maybe VC supported or sidecar or something. Yeah, exactly. So <clears throat> taking um, funds from different angles at different channels and avenues. And uh, hopefully giving uh, more the consumer and the community an opportunity to contribute as well. So um, we we can see that the dynamics have changed uh, with the financial situation um, that's happened in the last sort of 12 months. Yes. Um, VCs are not really investing almost at all. Even uh, with the sort of tech crash that happened last year, it meant that they're, um, you know, they're just not uh, investing where they used to put money. And we know that the money is out there. There's a lot of funds out there. Uh, We just need to get access to it. Yeah, I mean, I suppose um, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, there still has to be capital allocation. Otherwise, the VCs would have to stop running, right? So they've um, got funds that they have to acquit. Absolutely. Everyone does. Uh, But I think it's a risk uh, profile that has changed. And... uh, so that's uh, to give it uh, to give a bit more context to the topic. Um, so we learned raising is always always difficult, but also it is more difficult when you are product based. Yes, and you are female founders. Oh, and um, the expectation when we were talking to um, some of these VCs was the expectation that they had from the tech companies, like if. Um, the investments is around, for example, to five million. The outcome or the revenue out of it in five years' time should be hundred million. Yeah, yeah. But in manufacturing and product based, this is never no. going to happen. No. So if um, we are not investing in these uh, sustainable solutions and products that are designed to be environmental friendly, yeah. Um. So all this money is just going to go to towards the tech, but people are having a normal life. They need a co-friendly solution. They need people to think about these um, different um, alternatives that can help people to have a um, healthy and sustainable lifestyle. So that was one of the th- learnings. And we got a lot of feedback like that. Yep. Although uh, many of them, they told us, we have never seen a startup that they are profitable in the first year. We have never seen a startup that uh, they can, uh, you know, increase their revenue like this. But it's still the ultimate expectation and comparison yes. was exactly like, okay, tech yeah. companies, they you can generate like, 100 million, yeah. but there's no way that you that. guys... You don't fit the conventional profile financially of like an investable tech startup. Yeah. And I think there's that, you know, I think VCs and all investors like techs of the scalability and the the kind of um, size and network effects and everything are significant. But, you know, um, it's just funny how like that high growth, high impact sort of thing doesn't always fit onto really good planetary solutions. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. Because people can't associate necessarily a like monetary gain from that investment. So, uh, really, what needs to happen is like VCs and investors need to modify their criteria for and selecting. They, they probably need to look at more like um, uh, 
what do you call so, so um, social cost benefit analysis more so or different techniques to uh, to value um, companies like yours because really um, the the environmental or the social capital markup is significant um, it's not just the economics or the, the unit economics as they say yeah absolutely and you know the the profile or uh, different type of businesses that they are investing in there should be a balance between this product base purpose-based and also those ones that are going to generate a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and that's the only way. Yeah, they are a VC company. That's their job and it is just generating or yeah. generating more revenue. But there should be this balance. Otherwise, um, solutions like ours or many others that we see in the yeah. market, they have a very, very limited chance to raise funding from VC companies. Can you, I mean, both of the things that you raise as barriers to getting funded are things that, I think are known. So I think female founders receive far less than male founders for equivalent situations for funding. That's well documented. And also the same probably for non-tech products as well. So how do you know like which one it is and like that kind of, you know, is it that when you're going for funding, um, you can just feel it's because we're females or because it's a a product or how, how do you kind of do you know which one it is or it's both or what's your feeling about that? Uh, usually we can tell from the questions that they ask sure. and also the feedback they give. So uh, if a VC or a um, fund wants to say no, they usually give you some feedback um, as to why. And most of the time it, um, you have to read between the lines because it's quite glossy and um, uh, not really saying anything. But it's, it's, you not, can it's, tell. Not us, it's, it's not you, it's us kind of thing. Yeah. And, well, yeah, they say, uh, you know, they say these throwaway comments like it's just not an area that we want to invest in at the moment. We're focusing on other things. Yep. We've we've just recently invested in something in a different area and that's what we're, what we're doing at the moment. Um, one, one company even said um, – we prefer to invest in companies that are global before they're local. And we were like, hold on. <laughs> I don't even understand that. I'm yeah. And we're, so that's very tech-based yeah. because yeah. they want to see – Platforms or whatever. Yeah, platforms that are everywhere yeah. um, around the world before they're focusing on a local area. And you area. guys you both think completely the opposite way, yeah. like local and community first exactly. and then outward. So. And so when we see that sort of feedback, we're actually glad that they didn't take – um, the investment in us because we don't want to work with people like that. We want people that are really aligned with our values. They really understand what we're doing. Um, we get so many questions like, um, why don't you just get it manufactured overseas and then import it in? And we're like, yeah, that's not really what yes. we're trying to do. We're Carbon trying to, reduction. Yeah. Um, or um, why don't you get somebody else to make it and you just sell it? And then again, we're like, no, what we want to do is we want to create, you know, jobs. We want to create something that's produced here locally, yeah. that's sold here locally, that people can really get behind. It's a truly local, sustainable solution. Mm. And uh, if it continues in this way where um, VCs and funds are making their investment decisions based on these criteria, it just will keep on going. Yep. Because Nothing will change. Yeah. The funds are getting funneled towards those people that are profit-focused rather than having a purpose element mm. in their business. And really it should be hand-in-hand. Yep. Um, ideally, if your purpose is completely intertwined with your profit, like with us, um, if Goodity is doing well, 
that's really awesome for the purpose because um, if we're selling lots of edible cups, that means lots of cups are getting diverted away from landfill and Good Idea is growing as a business. So it's sort of like the perfect combination. I think you framed that so well. And I think by being bold in that message, you will attract the right investors. So I've great confidence in that. Do you see that I finished my Good Eddie Cup? <gasps> yeah. How I, is it? I feel pretty good. I feel pretty, I'm going for a run after this, so I, I hope that I'll still be able to run. It should but. give you really good energy, right? Uh, fiber, it's yeah. going to be awesome. It's got all the good stuff in it. Yeah. Um, so how can people connect with you and learn more about your amazing work? Um, so people can reach out to us uh, if they're interested to talk to us more. Um, we have a really great website. Um, you can connect with one of those inquiry forms that you can find on our website. You can directly email us. You can send us a message on Instagram. We're everywhere. You're happy to talk? You're happy to have a coffee either in one of your cups or not? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's not a compulsory thing that they have to have a coffee in the cup, but it does really. It helps, uh, right? Yeah, it helps. And what, what if they have the coffee in the cup, but they don't eat it afterwards? Are they blacklisted, or you'll still put up with it? We make a really like comprehensive analysis, and um, we take into account the other parts of the interaction, not just the. Yeah, that I think part. you should take the cups to investor meetings and only allow them to drink out of it, and then see what they do afterwards. And that yeah. can be your decision whether to take the money or not. So, exactly. You, are you really with us or not? It's yes. kind of like a yeah, behavioural theme. Thank you so much for being with me. I'm sure people will hit you up. I'm going to link this in the show notes as well. And just a pleasure um, being with you and your cup. Thank Th you. Thank awesome. you so much. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player and why not share it with a friend or two? If you want more from your Humans of Purpose experience, become a Humans of Purpose member today through our new platform, Supercast. All you need to do is hit the link in our show notes. If you have a message to share with our audience about your brand, products, or services, we have a wide variety of paid promotional packages available. Please get in touch by hitting the link in our show notes.